The exterior of hell was appalling and frightful. It was an immense, heavy-looking building in the granite of which it was formed, although black was of metallic brightness. And the dark and ponderous doors were secured with such terrible bolts that no one could behold them without trembling. Deep groans and cries of despair might be plainly distinguished even while the doors were tightly closed. These are the words of blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, who lived in the 18th century during in the Holy Roman Empire. She was a mystic to have, who claimed to have visions of all sorts of spiritual things. Similar words were said by Sister Lucia. Sister Lucia of Fatima had very similar visions of hell. You know Fatima was the place where our Blessed Mother appeared a number of years ago in the early 20th century. And there, the three children, Lucia being one of them, received these visions, one of which was of hell. St. Faustina wrote about the same thing in the 1930s. She wrote, Each soul undergoes terrible and indescribable sufferings related to the manner in which it has sinned. There are caverns and pits of torture where one form of agony differs from another. But I notice one thing, that most of the souls there are those who, who disbelieved that there is a hell. When I came to, I could hardly recover from the, fight, from the fright how terribly souls suffered there. The great theologian and writer C.S. Lewis wrote in his epic book, The Screwtape Letters, that one of the greatest tricks that the devil has done to the modern person is to think, to convince them that the devil doesn't exist and hell doesn't exist either. Now I say these things, and this might be odd for you to hear. Maybe you're thinking, Father Jason, this is a little rough on a Sunday morning. Shouldn't it be happy and joyful? Well, the reality of today's gospel talks about the narrow way. And the very risk of us, if we don't follow the discipline of the narrow way, that we could find ourselves on the other side of the divide when we breathe our last. These words that I've shared with you about the reality of hell are from saints, theologians. Jesus himself, the Son of God, speaks of it many, many times, talking about the welling and grinding of teeth, the fires of Gehenna, and in today's parable in the Gospel. 
Now, none of us have been to hell and back, thanks be to God. And we can't claim to know that any particular person is there. But we do know through our faith that this reality exists for those who choose to live a life separate from God. And we also have small tastes of that reality in our own life, in our own time. Maybe you can think of your own experience of living separate from God, a time where you say, I'm going to handle this my way, and you choose to go a different direction. Maybe you stopped going to church for a while, stopped praying, and there was much sadness and pain, doubt and despair. Some three months ago, I participated in a deliverance. Occasionally, I experience those with people that I'm helping. Deliverance is when someone is afflicted with an evil spirit, a demon, a devil. And this particular person, this girl, about 20, probably had several spirits within her starting with her sexual behavior, but then from what she was looking online late at night, as soon as I placed the oils on her forehead, my chair fell apart and the demon began to make itself known. It began using an odd voice telling me to stop praying, to get away as it tried to lunge at me. Ultimately, she was released of this affliction through our prayer. This is real. The battle is real. The devil is real. Demons are real. Hell is real. You must know that. I was studying in Rome with one of my priest friends. His name is Father Phil Kemi. And Father Phil is from Ireland and he has lots of wise words. But he said to me one time, he says, Father Jason, you tell your people that if they strive for heaven, they might just get there through purgatory. You tell your people, Father. You tell your people if they strive for purgatory, they might just get a reward of eternal hell. You tell your people, Father. Okay, that was a horrible Irish brogue, I know. <laughs> it was really bad. Okay, but his message is clear. Same message that our Lord Jesus said in today's gospel. That we need to strive through the narrow gate. We need to be people of discipline, we heard in the second reading. Interestingly, the root word of discipline is disciple, and we're a disciple of Jesus. We enact disciplines in our life to follow Jesus so that we can enter through the narrow gate, so that we can have eternal life. It is said that the road to hell is paved with many good intentions. 
Intentions are not enough. In another place in the gospel, Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. Now, Jesus wants all of us to live forever with him. He wants you and he wants me to live right now with him, connected with him in a deep, profound, intimate relationship with him. But he wants you and me to live with him forever. And in his heart, it is pierced whenever someone falls from him. But he respects your ability to choose which path you want to go. To the, through the narrow gate or down the wide road that leads to destruction. The good news is that Jesus gives us the way, the key to eternal salvation. The cross is the key that opens the gate. He, he gives that to you and to me. We receive it at baptism and we receive it in the holy celebration of the Eucharist in the Sacrament of Reconciliation. We receive this gift constantly poured out to us when we pray and spend time with the Lord in his holy word. His grace moves in our life and we can trust in that. There's a document that came out in the year 2000 by the Congregation of the Doctrine and Faith from the Vatican called Dominus Jesus. In this document, the author was uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, at that time Cardinal Ratzinger. The CDF and the church reaffirms our faith that Jesus is the only way to eternal salvation. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not some kind of crystal, not our own works, but only Jesus. He is the only way. He is the key. Now that doesn't mean to say that someone who is living their faith in as best they can and as long as it's according to natural law that when they die they don't go to heaven. No, it means that when they die they realize immediately that all the good that they were following was actually Jesus and that his cross is the key. There's no other way but through Jesus and his death and resurrection. He is the son of God. That's the good news for you and me. That's the remedy for us to keep us from eternal hell. Now Jesus said in today's gospel, he said that there was a group of people that were locked outside and they were knocking on the doors, the parable says. And they cried out, Lord, you ate with us in our company. We drank with you in your company. You taught on our streets. And he says, I don't know you. What does that mean? Well, there's a great book by Sherry Waddell called 
Forming Intentional Disciples. I don't know if you've heard this book, Forming Intentional Disciples. If you haven't, this book by Sherry Waddell, Forming Intentional Disciples, is an awesome book to read. But there's a phrase in there that I love, and if you've ever heard my homage, you've heard me say this before, but it says that God has no grandchildren. I want you to think about that. God has no grandchildren. Why? God only has children. We, you and me, are in relationship with God personally as his sons and daughters. We relate to God as Father. We relate to Jesus as our brother and Savior. We relate to the Holy Spirit as love in our hearts and love that moves within us. We have this deep, profound, personal relationship with him. And to say that God has no grandchildren means that we can't ride the coattails of mom and dad to get to heaven. We can't ride the coattails of of grandma, grandpa. We can't ride the coattails of father, uncle, Jason. No, we can't. Only in our own relationship with Jesus. In the parable they said, we, you were in our presence and we ate and drank with you. It'd be like someone coming to the church, sitting in the back row and playing Angry Birds. <laughs> I know that's so old school. No one plays Angry Birds now. <laughs> or looking on their TikTok for the latest dance move or whatever it might be. They're not really here. They, they're here physically, but they're not in relationship with Jesus because their mind is somewhere else. You taught in, on our streets. It'd, it'd be like going to a class faith formation class, and not listening to the teacher. No, you and I are called to this personal, intimate, profound relationship with Jesus. We receive the grace and gift of that through our baptism and through the sacraments, and that continues to be nourished in us. Now, as we live that out, it means we need to be intentional. We need to have particular acts in our life. One of the best things that we can do is the very first thing when the alarm clock wakes us up or when we wake up because a ray of sunshine comes through the window, the very first thing we can do is we can say a prayer of thanksgiving. We can say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day. Thank you for my life. I receive you in my life again. Even before you reach for your phone to look at your Facebook update, even before you go to the bathroom, almost everyone has to go to the bathroom first, you know, but, and you can pray while you're on, in the bathroom, okay, just saying. But anyhow, that beginning prayer begins your day, begins our day in the right direction, where we're saying, I'm walking the narrow way to go through the narrow gate. That's why we have that time uh, several times a year where we come to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. That's why we have a commitment to receive the Holy Eucharist, Holy Communion in our lives. These are moments where we begin to taste what eternal life is like. You guys know what it is. Like here being together when we're singing and we're receiving Holy Communion, it's a sign of being in Heaven, an experience of that as we're singing and proclaiming and we have this 
connectedness. Maybe you have the same thing in your own homes when you sit down to eat. Well, maybe not, but we sit down to eat and maybe those special occasions and you're like, I feel like we're together as a family and we're loved. Now, we can bring our faith in our family. We can bring our faith to the workplace. We can bring our faith wherever we go. When we start our day in, in that prayer, commending ourselves to Christ, and then we start doing our work based on our prayer and our faith and start living our family life based on our prayer and faith, we are walking down the road to the narrow gate, which one day will lead us to that place that Jesus has prepared for all of us, a place in his Father's house. And when we breathe our last, Jesus will take us by the hand and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and receive all that I have prepared for you in eternal life.